The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Hi, this is Phil Hinton and welcome along to this month's AV Forums Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we discuss the fallout surrounding HD DVDs withdrawal from the market. We have a look at the Bristol Show highlights and Panasonic's new HD screens for 2008. And we talk to Pioneer to discuss their decision to outsource their plasma panels. And we also discuss the current state of the flat panel market. As always for the Home Cinema Podcast, I'm joined by Neil Davidson, the AV Forum's technical editor and T&W marketing guru. Hi, Neil. Hi, Phil. How are you? Uh, not too bad. And uh, obviously, Neil, we haven't been around the airwaves for a little while. Things have been very, very busy in the world of AV Forums recently. And a lot of big things that we have missed out on. So um, maybe we can cover them in this podcast today. Obviously, the big news is going to be the Pioneer announcement, which we will cover a little bit later on in the podcast. And we're also going to talk about HD DVD, the Bristol show, which happened recently, and Panasonic's launch of their new HD screens and Blu-ray players. So lots to talk about. Uh, there's also some new developments. If you care to go to tv.avforums.com, uh, you will see that we have some video home cinema podcasts up there. Uh, go over, have a look, see what you think, and uh, give us some feedback on that, and hopefully we'll have plenty more coverage uh, video-wise in the future. So let's cut to the chase, and let's start with the news. So Neil, HD DVD is dead. Uh, long live HD DVD. <laughs> well, a controversial viewpoint, Phil, but uh, a lot of people I've been speaking to um, have been taking a rather interesting view that they were quite pleased with their uh, investment in low-cost HD DVD players. Um, and they now uh, intend to stock up on reduced price HD DVDs. Um, the amount of people I've spoken to, uh, they, <laughs> I think that uh, we will be seeing an increase in price of HD DVDs as they start to run out. Um, and the number of people that seem to be looking to build up a large library in the format uh, before it disappears off our shelves. No, obviously there's plenty of players out there that are at very reasonable prices. I think you can pick an EP30 up for around about 70 quid now. Um, EP35 around about 120 quid. And some of the older generation players even cheaper than that. Uh, obviously, lots of retailers getting rid of their discs as well. DCHD DVD continuing for some time? I mean, we've been talking to people, but uh, realistically, how, how long can it continue? Sure, realistically, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's completely dead already. The announcement from Toshiba was so uh, decisive that it was completely over for them. Um, I don't think it will take long before it disappears completely off our shelves. Um, we already know that production has almost completely stopped, uh, or, or has completely stopped. There were some amusing stories uh, surrounding the release of B-Movie, which I think was the, the last one that was slated to come out. Um, a format where there's no new content being released, uh, there's only a very small uh, amount of shelf life left in the actual discs themselves. Um, and I'm sure you'll find uh, that whatever players are remaining will sell out quite quickly as well as retailers slash the price on them just to get them off their shelves. And of course, uh, Samsung and LG have just announced that they will not be releasing their dual players in the UK. So that's another nail in the coffin then. Yeah, I mean, another nail in the coffin. But frankly, you would have to ask, what is the point? of them releasing the dual players when there's no content being released on the format uh, anymore on HD DVD. Um, anyone who has an HD DVD player, of course, would not be a customer, probably for uh, one of the dual format players. Um, and anyone who's considering HD DVD surely must be looking at it uh, as a chance to get a fairly decent uh, upscaling DVD player um, that has a side benefit that they can play some HD DVD movies if they want to pick some up. Um, I'm sure they'll be available for trade and so on for quite a long time to come. Um, and as we know, the, the quality of the discs, uh, in terms of their technical quality, um, certainly can't be faulted. Um, so the, the, there's still some interesting opportunities there, but no reason at all for them to bring out the dual format players. One of the interesting conversations I had at Bristol this year was with uh, Roger Batchelor from Denon. And uh, when asked how he's seen things progressing, um, he certainly didn't dismiss the fact that Denon would be looking at a universal 
all-in-one HD player which would play all the formats. Do you see that as something that might be viable in the future? No. Um, realistically, I, I simply can't see uh, a player that will play anything other than Blu-ray movies for HD content uh, moving ahead. There's simply no economic arguments, I think, um, for a big player like Denon uh, to offer uh, a universal disc player that plays HD DVDs. Um, certainly, I think you'll see some interesting developments now of Blu-ray uh, and DVD players, perhaps to optimise the quality of playback on both of those formats. But also including HD DVD, that doesn't seem to make sense to me, I have to say. And obviously the, the big fallout for Toshiba, Neil, is the fact that 400 billion yen, that's uh, around about 300 uh, million pounds, has been lost with them pulling out so swiftly from the market. But I, I suppose we also have to give Toshiba some due that, you know, they did make the decision and have now obviously made it a lot easier for the consumer and for the market to go forward. Well, um, as soon as Warner uh, made their announcement just before CES, um, I think it was pretty clear to everybody, including Toshiba, that that was it, the game was over. Um, they, they made a swift decision. And if you actually look at what happened to Toshiba's stock price, um, the market actually felt that it was the correct decision to do because they were just basically throwing money away um, trying to promote the HD DVD format. Um, now that they uh, are no longer simply throwing good money after bad, um, it's probably a good move for the company. I think the other interesting thing to note, and something I didn't realise until I read some of the material um, around the announcement, is that Toshiba itself um, doesn't really make that huge a percentage of its profits um, from consumer electronics. Uh, the company is actually involved in nuclear power generation and all other kinds of uh, weird and wonderful things um, in Japan. Um, and obviously they have uh, a very interesting uh, computer silicon development process. Um, things that make it a lot more money than, than some of its other consumer electronics activities. Whereas Sony, of course, we know is completely uh, focused on its consumer electronics and also the movie business. Um, so really there was there was more at stake, I think, overall for Sony than for Toshiba. Um, and I think Sony, probably because of that, could have afforded to have kept going on for a bit longer, effectively gambling. Um, that their resources would simply um, take care of Toshiba in the end. And, well, who's to say that that wasn't actually the case at the end of the day? Simply, the company uh, with the greater resources won out in the end. So Sony going for world domination, and um, we're now left with Blu-ray, so is it a positive future? Because, in my my opinion, I think the wrong format won. Well, um, wrong format's a difficult thing to say. Um, from a technical standpoint in terms of picture quality I don't think uh, either format um, had a particular strong benefit over the other uh, I think the real problem for Blu-ray has simply been the, the mishmash of profiles and the confusion that that has created uh, for the general consumers, it's such a pity that that um, whole mess has surrounded the format um, I think now that we will hopefully see manufacturers who can afford to focus maybe a slightly more long-term view rather than trying to squeeze out new models as quickly as possible, um, properly implementing uh, a Profile 2 player um, and hopefully we can find uh, market stability around Profile 2. Um, and if that happens, I think that that's good news for the consumer, um, good news for the technology companies. And I think then what you'll start to see also is that some of the more advanced features of the Blu-ray format um, start to get implemented. Um, and then I, I think once we see that, well, um, wrong format, perhaps. Uh, but will it give us a lot more than we've had before? Certainly. So, Neil, we're left with one format. It's Blu-ray for the future. And um, I guess it's fingers crossed that the technology comes through and, and can compete with DVD in the end because... Uh, it's got one hell of a battle ahead of it to, to try and uh, take over from, well, basically the most popular format that's ever been released to the consumer. So do you see it struggling? Do you see it as a niche? Or do you think that given time and given the amount of sales of, of HD uh, compatible equipment that people will progress to high definition? Um, I think that people will 
uh, start to transition more into high definition. Um, truthfully, I believe that Blu-ray will remain a niche player uh, compared to the, the unrivaled success that, that DVD has had, as you've just suggested there. Um, DVD had, uh, at the end of the day, quite a long run at it. It had almost 11 years uh, run at it up until now, uh, which is, is quite impressive for any format. Um, and it, it really became established quite incredibly well in that time period. And if you actually look at the rate of releases still on DVD compared to Blu-ray, there's, there's really no competition uh, for anyone who says that Blu-ray is anything other than a, a small niche um, in our content buying. Um, and I don't see really that that will change massively um, in the short time that I personally believe that Blu-ray has in the marketplace. Um, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I have long felt that Blu-ray and HD DVD were kind of arguing over nothing. Um, I strongly, strongly, strongly believe um, that downloads are the future of content delivery. Um, the only thing that prevents downloads from already ruling content delivery is simply the network infrastructure, um, not only in the UK but in the US. Um, but as we've seen in countries uh, like Korea, um, like Sweden, etc., where they do have fibre optic backbones that allow extremely high uh, bit rates of uh, content delivery uh, over the internet into people's houses. They are already mad on video on demand um, services where where video and music content is simply streamed into their house over the internet connection. And for me, that is the way of the future. Whether we like it or not, there are purists out there who will always want to own physical copies of material and stuff like that. Well, I think in five years' time, um, the, the the whole Blu-ray story will just be a passing memory um, because we'll already be downloading all of our content by then. Okay, well, that's a point that we should come back on in about five years from now. So <laughs> let's... <laughs> Let's move the conversation on a little bit. Uh, Bristol Show happened end of February, and uh, quite a few big announcements, quite a few big products released there, Neil, and um, I suppose uh, for the purest point of view, the hi-fi point of view, the Arkham Solo 2.1, gorgeous little machine which was released. Have you had um, much time to play about with it? I haven't had my hands on an Arkham Solo um, so far. It looks like an interesting little unit. Um, There's actually two or three devices in that sector. Um, it seems to be quite a popular sector now. Um, I think Lynn were amongst the first ones who, who saw that as an opportunity with a device called the Classic Movie. Um, kind of like a, how would you describe it, almost a high-end home cinema in a box sort of an idea. Um, Arkan, of course, have, have taken it on with the Solo, which has proved to be quite a popular product for them. Um, but also NAD uh, have also released a similar device now um, with audio processing, amplification, DVD player, etc., all built into one box. So uh, Arkham seem to have uh, spotted and significantly developed a, a niche in the market that others are keen to follow. So uh, I always think that that's a good sign for any company when they have imitation. Yeah, it's, uh, it looks like a, a gorgeous little thing, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to play with one very soon. Moving on, the big amplifiers were also out in force at Bristol, and um, we finally got to hear the Denon combination there, 10-channel power amp and the pre-amplifier. And obviously that sounded very impressive through the B&W speaker system which was there. So Neil, these big amps, Pioneer had one as well, the Sasano. Again, very, very nice looking piece of kit. Sounded excellent as well. We haven't had a chance to play with either of these, but as someone who is involved in the custom install market, are these products something which which you relish, which you see coming on and, and being popular within that marketplace? Um, that's a good question, Phil, and it's something that I uh, personally am still a little bit undecided about, to be honest with you. Um, in the custom install market, um, there's no doubts that, that products from the likes of Denon and Onkyo uh, are extremely popular, uh, but these are models uh, around the £1,000 mark. Um, these new devices that we're talking about are considerably more expensive than that, and I have to say that, that a typical consumer um, for a model as expensive as, as that um, perhaps doesn't usually buy um, the likes of a Denon or a Pioneer. In particular, um, I'm intrigued by the Pioneer approach to have a combined uh, processor and amplifier in one device or a, a, 
a, a typical AV receiver, if you like, um, as the high-end model. Um, the custom install market traditionally likes uh, separate processor and power amp sections, uh, which can, can be controlled and obviously you have to think about support and various other bits and pieces for these devices. Um, so it will be extremely interesting to me uh, how these can uh, can find acceptance in a marketplace uh, where they've not traditionally been able to uh, to penetrate quite as well as some other brands. Now it used to be um, certainly in the days when I got into home cinema uh, that you went and bought the the big flagship amplifier if your if your pockets could stretch to it, and um, it seems to be that we're going back to to the old days where. You know the flagship amplifiers did cost several thousands of pounds, and there will be enthusiasts out there who, uh, I've no doubt, will go and and buy these combinations. But do you think there's still a market for for such uh, high end products? Well, there's certainly a market for high end products. Um, otherwise, uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. I can assure you of that. <laughs> um, so the market for high end products is extremely strong. Um, the question for me is whether a mainstream brand such as Denon or Pioneer can successfully transition over into the high-end arena that they're looking for. In particular, the Denon combination is an incredibly high-end piece of equipment, um, not only as of price, um, but in its technological features that it has. Um, I personally think a number of custom installers uh, may avoid that device simply because it has too many technical features um, my understanding, as we've not had our hands on one yet, Phil, uh, is that the device has a fully featured video processor, for example. Um, it has, what, 10 channel outputs from the processor. Uh, you can do all kinds of uh, bridging and stuff like that uh, in the power amp. Um, there is all kinds of EQ and other uh, fun stuff in there. Uh, but for your average custom installer, and I can say this as someone who spends a lot of their time training custom installers how to work with equipment like this, um, that's a pretty daunting prospect. You know, you can't just put something like that in and expect it to work at its best um, without spending some serious time on setup and configuration. Uh, the other worry has to be, of course, when you put so much uh, of the functionality of a system into one unit, uh, what happens if that unit breaks? In particular, that processor from Denon um, if it's used in the way that, that Denon hope it will be used, it really is the central hub for any system. And if you look at the price of that, you're really looking at a system costing upwards of £50,000 um, if you include projection and stuff like that in there. Um, so there are not too many installers who want to install a £50,000 system where there's a chance that if one component goes down, the whole thing goes down. Um, so I think that that will be a challenge for Denon uh, to convince uh, installers and for me, really, it's the installers that they have to convince rather than consumers. I, I truthfully can't see too many people uh, walking into the nearest hi-fi store uh, and ordering a £10,000 piece of electronics for their home cinema. Um, so they really need to get that installer market convinced that this is a product that they, they want to work with and that they can work with and also that it's reliable enough for them to afford to work with. And, of course, the uh, I guess the, the main thing here is that if these companies are produced, starting to produce this type of technology, hopefully we're going to see that go down the product line um, for your average consumer who maybe will spend a uh, thousand to two thousand pounds on a on a uh, receiver. So, having such uh, large high end equipment does do well for the consumers in the fact that that technology is going to move down the product line. You would think, anyway. Well, sure, that's always the way with the high end. Um, what's high end today? is uh, standard tomorrow. Um, some of the, the, the features um, that we're seeing uh, in these uh, new real high-end processors and stuff like that, there's no doubt that you will see this technology filtering down. Um, where these companies have been so successful uh, is in the products, as I say, below £1,000. And Well, when we started out in the hobby, Phil, uh, £1,000 was not a lot to pay for a flagship product, but that's really eroded over recent years so that you know the top end models from Pioneer or Denon up till now could be had for well under a thousand pounds no doubt about it um, so really it's a, a a huge step up for these companies to introduce these new products um, and it will be extremely interesting to see if they can uh, they can really cash in on them and 
you have to come back to it. It is, it is the installer market that they need to capture with them. Moving on, uh, we'll talk about display devices that were at Bristol. Obviously, uh, Pioneer were there with their Curo brand. Uh, we'll have more on that later. But they ended up being the product that was sold the most by quite some margin uh, on the show weekend. So obviously, the people that saw those screens were obviously very impressed with them. And uh, like I say, um, it was almost they were almost eighty percent higher in sales than it, than the nearest competitor on on the weekend. Neil, so um, just goes to show that. Uh, you know, if you if you've got a product that captures the the public imagination as the Curo brand has with its uh, very very good black levels, uh, it can be quite profitable. Well, um, profitable uh, is arguable, Phil, as I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, popular uh, in certain circles, undoubtedly, the Curo displays have been popular um, with a particular buyer. Um, it would seem that that buyer uh, is the type of person that would go to a hi-fi show, uh, as, as the figures that you just mentioned would certainly bear out. Um, but despite the, the the price of a Pioneer display, um, they're not a hugely profitable thing to sell. I mean, no flat panel, to be honest with you, is a profitable thing to sell. Um, but it, it is interesting and it's encouraging to see. Uh, we've heard such... Uh, bad reports about our economy and doldrums, etc. Um, it's encouraging for, for me, who's involved in a sales uh, company, um, to see that people are still buying uh, what can really be considered a luxury product um, in the Pioneer displays. And uh, I have to say, I was quite surprised to find out just how much the displays outsold some of the other stuff that was at the show. And uh, moving on, display-wise, uh, obviously projection is uh, getting bigger and bigger as the years go by. Obviously, the undisputed king in some circles is JVC with their uh, their black levels and their HD1 projector. They were showing the HD100, which is uh, squarely aimed at the custom install market, but obviously uh, wowed the consumers at the show as well. And uh, a new anamorphic slide and uh, lens going in there in, in that combination as well, Neil. Yes, um we were pleased uh, to be asked by JVC, uh, my company TNW Marketing, uh, were pleased to be asked by JVC to produce um, an anamorphic lens solution for them. Um, we did that and we actually did an exclusive announcement on it uh, on the AV forums. Um, people who visit the news section of the site will have seen um, the first quick picture of the solution. Um, the feedback that we've had has been incredibly positive. Um, it's a very compact solution. Um, it doesn't add a lot of size to the projector and it's extremely easy uh, to work with for the installers who we hope, uh, as you say, will want to work with the HD100 uh, and with the anamorphic lens solutions. Um, uh, as you mentioned, Phil, uh, projection is becoming more and more popular, but everyone who sees one of these anamorphic systems in work in the, just the sheer spectacle of it, it really adds a whole new dimension um, of cinema experience uh, to, to the viewing experience. Um, seems to want the anamorphic systems and we're pleased to have been able to work with JVC to offer a combined lens and projector solution um, that beats the £10,000 mark. So, yeah, good news for the consumer. And uh, obviously we'll be like the BBC here and say that there are other anamorphic systems available on the market as well as other of projectors course. and uh, SIM2 had uh, a very large demonstration uh, room this year. It's always been the case they were always stuck on the 10th floor at Bristol. Um, but they had a, a big suite to themselves this year and did the old um, anamorphic presentation, which we've seen umpteen times in the past, Neil, and it, it's always a, a spectacle to see. Yes, um, Alan Roser of Sim2 uh, is a gentleman who knows how to, to put on a fantastic demo for his customers. Um, Sim2 always do themselves proud at the shows and certainly the feedback that was on the forums was extremely positive um, of the anamorphic system uh, that the guys from Sim2 were showing. Um, I think what it shows you is that at the higher end, the projector companies really understand uh, it's it's an emotional sale to sell a high-end projector. Um, <laughs> the, the, the expense of a high-end projector means that, again, no one just goes in and buys one. It's pure emotion when you sell someone a product like that. Uh, and really what adds to that whole emotion is the experience, the immersive experience that you get from having an anamorphic system in place. So yeah, I wasn't surprised in the least 
to hear the positive feedback um, that Sim 2 were getting. And uh, let's wrap up with Bristol there. Uh, Dolby released their HDR technology. Um, this is LED TV, uh, LED LCD TV. Um, and their main selling point, again, everybody's main selling point at the moment seems to be black levels. Um, very interesting demonstration, which uh, forum members will be able to see some video clips um, of the technology actually running. However, we, we'll come back to this one, Neil, and, and Pioneer were guilty of this a while ago, where they have an LCD screen at one side and then their product at another side. And you've always got to ask the question, how well set up was the LCD model? And I've got to say, hand on heart, and I'm being honest here, it was pretty poor. It looked like they had the contrast and the brightness ramped so high up. Um, so obviously their product was going to look good, and yes, the black levels do look good, but I think the, the drawback with the technology at the moment, Neil, and, and I don't know if it's something you've looked closely at, but uh, it seems to be that you can't switch off enough of the LED lights to uh, to stop the haloing effect, and that was something that certainly did come through in the demonstration. Is that something you've picked up on yourself? Well, this is something that, that we've seen. I've not had a chance to see the HDR technology um, in the flesh, if you like, um, but something that we certainly do see with any technology that works via backlights, so be that a traditional LCD uh, or the new LED LCDs, um, is that to give an even uniformity, um, so that's just like a consistent level of light across the screen, of course the LEDs have to be controlled, uh, the backlight has to be controlled extremely carefully uh, to give an even illumination. Now of course if you're switching LEDs on and off, um, it is in theory possible to control that quite accurately, um, but well, theory is a lot more difficult than practice and I would be extremely worried uh, in the short term at least about the level of uniformity that you could get. Now, I think where that would probably manifest itself is if you had a scene, um, let's just say, uh, of uh, one of the forum favourites like Star Wars or something like that, where you had inky blacks in the background, but then a very bright white object in the foreground, you would probably find that there's a sort of a, a greying band um, as it moves away from the bright object towards the black in the, in the background. Um, you would need some quite impressive video processing to detect those different areas uh, being displayed on the screen. But you'd also need to have very small regions for the LED to light up to avoid that sort of greying effect. So um, it's certainly a technology that has some potential but again, is it something that can be brought to market quick enough um, to uh, to defeat the competition out there? Well, that remains to be seen. Sim 2 are going to be the first uh, to bring this technology to market. And um, I just hope that the, the finished article is better than the prototype we did see. I mean, the prototype we saw was three years old. So you would have to presume that the Sim 2 engineers have worked very hard on this technology and it should be interesting to see their prototype when it's ready. Well, you have to ask yourself, um, if it's such great technology, why is the prototype three years old? Um, typically, that would suggest to me a technology that's uh, being promoted, but no one's taken it up for whatever reason. So we really do hope that the Sim 2 guys saw something that some of the other manufacturers didn't see. And let's not remember, we don't really associate Sim 2 particularly uh, with flat panels, although they did produce some good flat panels a few years ago. Um, it will be very interesting to see if they are able to bring something new to the market um, and it could be interesting for them uh, unfortunately for them if we find that the, the product is just a bit of same old same old um, then they could be left with a lot of panels on their hands that they struggle to do something with Well uh, that kind of wraps up everything uh, we wanted to talk about from the Bristol show if you want to see uh, more of the show and more of the show highlights uh, we will have a series of videos uh, being released uh, on our new website which is tv.avforums.com or you can look on the AV Forums homepage for the latest videos and up there at the moment we have uh, one from Denon and an introduction to the show which kind of gives you an idea of everything that was there to see over the weekend so if you're interested in more of the Bristol highlights go and see our videos on the new site and just to wrap up the news this month um, Panasonic launched their new HD screens, Plasmas uh, to the market in Valencia in February. Uh, the announcement was made on the 1st of March. And again, the AV forums were the first out there with the correct information on what was seen uh, at that release. And uh, Neil, some very interesting models from Panasonic this year. And I guess 
it's very encouraging to see that they are sticking by the plasma technology. Well, for me, um, I'm a big believer that plasma still offers um, some significant picture benefits over LCD technology, fundamental benefits due to the way that technology works rather than anything subjective. Um, and, of course, uh, people probably can't imagine the volume of product uh, that Panasonic can actually make. Um, they, they, they really dominate the world of plasma panel production. And truthfully, if anyone can come up with some innovations, um, it should be the guys at Panasonic. And certainly the feedback that, that you gave me, Phil, um, of your experiences of the products sounds as though they've done it again this year. They've come up with a new generation of products um, that offers extremely good picture performance and benefits over last year's models. And a, a very interesting thing for me was uh, they're introducing a new panel size this year, 46-inch. Um, we, we've always seen the 42 and the 50, so it, it seems to be an interesting strategy to take this year. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. If you actually look at some of the statistics uh, of sales of flat panels, you almost wouldn't believe um, how, how quickly that market has picked up. Um, and what has actually happened is that the first generation of flat panel buyers uh, were people who were moving from, let's say, a 28-inch uh, CRT 16x9 screen. Um, they moved up to, well, maybe a, a, a 32 uh, or even a 37-inch uh, LCD or plasma panel. Uh, but these people uh, have become used to it, and I'm sure anyone listening uh, who themselves has a flat panel uh, will will indicate that you quickly get used to the size of these flat panels. Um, I went through the same process myself, going from a very small flat panel TV um, to a 42, and I now have a 50-inch flat panel myself. Um, and it is incredible how quickly you get used to the size. And these first-generation buyers um, who have become used to the size are looking for a bigger TV when it comes time to upgrade this time. Um, if you actually see the statistics, sales of 50-inch uh, and above are climbing much, much more rapidly than the 42-inch, uh, which is, I'm sure, one of the main reasons that Panasonic have introduced this new size at 46 inches. And some interesting uh, technology in the new sets as well, uh, Neil. Uh, just to cover them very quickly we've got the uh, digital cinema color uh, which goes along with xv color now this is a bit of a um like xv color we really need to see some material come to market that's actually mastered in this uh, this format and it's one of these things where it looks good when you see it with professional footage which has been made especially for launch events like the ones uh, that the av forums went along to but the likelihood of these things actually appearing on a Hollywood film disc, it seems to be quite rare at the moment, especially the, the digital cinema colour, which I guess is just a progression of the uh, the digital cinema initiative um, to obviously push the, the colour spectrum, so we're actually seeing a better colour at home. Do you see this technology actually taking off, or, or do you think it's just market and hype? Well, uh, as you know, um, I've made my opinions uh, explicitly clear uh, to the Panasonic guys already, Phil, that I believe that this is pure pure marketing um, at this stage. Uh, XV Colour, um, which is a slightly different thing, uh, it's pure marketing as well, but there are at least some devices, namely the HD camcorders, where you can at least get HD colour material. Um, but the average consumer is not in the foreseeable future going to have access uh, to digital cinema um, spec material. It's just simply not going to happen um, anytime in the near future. Interestingly, that is one of the areas where downloads could be interesting. Um, we could speculate that in the future, uh, a movie that you download will come with uh, the actual um, colour uh, profile that should be used to watch the movie. Um, and obviously, as more and more displays become capable of showing these extremely wide color spectrums, um, that, that could become more interesting. Uh, but in terms of where we see this on Blu-ray, for example, absolutely no chance. And obviously, the, the main thing that our members and, and consumers will be worried about straight out the bag is 24-frame playback. And... Um, I did see the Panasonic models working with a, a, a new thing called uh, intelligent frame creation. Now, the one thing I couldn't get was a proper answer to any questions that I had to ask, which was, how does it go about um, actually sequencing the frames of film to play it back? 
and I still haven't had a straight answer um, to that question. Um, lots of words being used in there which are, are basic marketing terms. But the one thing I did understand from it all um, is that obviously it's a it's a four four pull down that's being used for the the twenty four frame playback on all the sets, and it's only the high end sets that are going to have this intelligent frame conversion. And I still can't figure it out myself. I don't know if you've had any thoughts on this, Neil, or you can give us any ideas as what you might speculate it, it working as. Well, no, I'm. Uh, I've seen lots and lots of these different implementations. Um, you see them called frame interpolation and all other kinds of things like that, Phil. Um, it's actually quite an interesting technology and incredibly impressive, to be honest with you, that it can be done in almost real time uh, as it is. Basically, what you need to do is you need to buffer at least two frames of video um, so that you have the, the, the frame that you see now plus the frame that's going to be drawn next. Um, and what you do is that the video processing in the display actually needs to detect motion or changes between these frames. Uh, and what it does is it tries to estimate based on the, the speed of the change uh, where over the next four frames, exactly as you've suggested there, or the, the, the interpolated frames um, that the video processing has come up with, uh, the lines would actually be. Um, I've seen it create some incredibly bizarre and horrible <laughs> video processing effects. Um, I, I saw someone describe a video processing effect on the AV forums as the oily film effect. Um, and I have to say, I really like that one. Um, it, it describes some of the effects that you can get extremely well. Um, there's a, a, a very well-known high-end German uh, LCD manufacturer, who shall name uh, nameless at this particular second, and their implementation of this type of technology causes the objects in the foreground to appear completely detached from objects in the background, as if they're floating in front of everything else. It's absolutely horrible. Um, I, I personally had to turn away from such an implementation just recently. Um, but that's how these things work. Um, some of them can work okay and add to the, the fluidity. It makes it look as though everything's much smoother. Uh, but because these are uh, estimates, they're not actual frames. It's the video processing has estimated where things are. Of course, it can go wrong. Um, and when it goes wrong, it just looks absolutely appalling. So it will be interesting to see if Panasonic have succeeded where all others have failed so far. Well, uh, I guess just to put uh, the AV Forum's members at rest, I, I did look at this in quite some detail on the sets that were being shown, and I couldn't see anything that was drastically wrong with the processing. So, like we say, hopefully uh, this new technology and, uh, that they're implementing in the higher-end sets, and uh, obviously the lower-end sets can handle 24-frame playback. But, Neil, 24-frame playback it's not the be all and end all is it well again this is one of the things that we have uh, huge arguments about um as you know phil i'm lucky enough that my day-to-day -day business is working uh, with some very high-end products bordering on real cinema systems um for, for certain clients um, and we always have discussions <laughs> whether 24p is the correct way to show things now I actually did a small post on the forum, um, 24p for plasma uh, and for DLP projection um, doesn't really have any particular meaning um, because of the fundamental way that those technologies work. Um, they work by, by pulse width modulation of the different pixels, which, uh, not to get too technical, but means that those pixels are getting constantly updated the whole time. Um, so it's not as though you have 24 distinct frames as such. The pixels are always getting updated. So it really doesn't matter if you show it 24, 48, 72. It's, it's the same thing. It doesn't make any difference um, on those two technologies. Um, where it does really make a difference uh, is with LCD-based technologies. Um, an LCD uh, works by showing a frame, and that frame remains static on the screen until the next frame is shown. Um, and that can really be quite noticeable to our eye uh, at 24 frames per second. Uh, our eye can, can detect this effect. Um, people call it sample and hold, whatever you want to call it. People can detect this. Um, so by speeding up, um, effectively 
adding a flicker, if you like, to the image that just breaks it. It makes our eye refresh almost. Um, they can make it look a bit smoother, which is where 48 and 72 come in. Um, and then as, as you go faster, so up to 96 and 120, um, really 120, if you see that, almost certainly there's one of those frame interpolation technologies going on uh, that you just mentioned a, a second ago with regards to Panasonic, Phil. Um, the other problem that you will find with 24p, uh, regardless of your technology, if you're showing 24p uh, at 24p, uh, is that pans uh, in the actual filmed material, um, if, the, <laughs> if the cameraman has not done his job correctly, you will see that there are jumps uh, in the actual pans themselves. There is actually maximum speeds, etc., that the cameramen should follow when they're, when they're framing the movies and, uh, and following scenes and so on, um, to allow for smooth panning and so on. Um, but they don't always do that, and you can get this, this sort of weird juddering effect. Um, and that effect is it's nothing to do with the TV, the processing. Um, there's really nothing that you can do to improve it. It's the physical... Um, camera work that was used to create the movie in the first place and there just is simply not enough information in 24 frames um, to do some of the things that, that people expect that it can do. Okay, well we've gone off on a bit of a tangent there but hopefully uh, the four members have found that information useful. Like we say, Panasonic's new screens, uh, they started coming out in uh, this month, March and uh, will progress over the summer. If you'd like to have a look at their uh, launch event then we do have a video up there from Valencia. And uh, it again, it's found on the AV Forums TV site, which is tv.avforums.com. So we're going to move on from here and talk about the big announcement from Pioneer, and that's coming up next. The biggest news and the best, best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard, tiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. So like I said, uh, a big announcement from Pioneer uh, last Friday. Um, that they are restructuring their business and as part of that their plasma technology is uh, being outsourced. They're going to outsource for panels from another uh, company uh, but the company say that this is a positive thing, Neil, and um, in moving forward that it's it's going to help them get back into the black, pun intended. <laughs> yep, um, I think that for those of us in the industry it was uh, a matter of time until Pioneer uh, had to make this announcement, especially in light of the Fujitsu announcement as well. Um, and from my side, this probably is the, the correct thing for Pioneer to do, and truthfully probably the only thing for Pioneer to do. So at this moment in time, I'm joined by Fiona Pinkney from Pioneer Great Britain. Good afternoon, Fiona. Good afternoon, Phil. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us today. Now, the announcement came out last week from Japan regarding your uh, plasma future. And there seems to be quite a, a mixed um, sense of people taking it either as bad news or good news. So what angle are, are Pioneer Great Britain taking this news at the moment? Well, it's very much a good news announcement. Um, and some of it has been misreported as we're sort of totally pulling out of the plasma business which actually isn't the case at all. Um, what's actually happening is, um, obviously you've heard the reports that um, the, the plasma side of the business has been loss-making. That isn't any sort of secret. So what the business is trying to do is turn that around um, and make it profitable. So what they're actually doing is uh, looking at outsourcing the panel production to a third party. So it is very much a good news story about turning the business around you know, really making it profitable, etc. So, you know, this isn't a bad news story at all. Now, Fiona, there'll be many in, in different quarters who will point the finger at Pioneer and say, well, last year they changed their business model to go more upmarket, and obviously this is the, the cause root of your problems. Would mm. would that be a fair comment? No, I, I mean, it isn't about us going upmarket at all. And in actual fact, we are still going to very much maintain that position we're not changing our strategy at all. We will continue to be a premium manufacturer making premium products, which is what we, you know, what we pretty much always have been. I think what has happened um, is that kind of factors, external factors such as, you know, there really has been a huge buy-in to LCD. We've also seen a massive price erosion um, in the television market. So I think there's been external factors as well. But I don't think it's around the fact that we've, we've been a premium 
brand. I don't think that's what this is about at all. I think that's very much about who we are and, and what we want to continue to be. Um, and I think that's very much the right place for it. I mean, certainly there are people who aren't prepared to pay a premium for, our, you know, for any product. And, you know, we can completely understand that. And there's lots of um, products out on the market for those people. But what we're saying is if you want the very best technology, then there is a price premium attached to that. And I think a lot of people do understand that. The other side of the coin is that, that people will now say, well, why pay a premium price if we're going to be buying um, panels for, from another manufacturer? So um, lots of comments out there saying that Pioneer screens in the future will just be Panasonic's rebadged. I take it that's not going to be the case. I, I can, yeah. I mean, what I can explain the, the situation. What we're doing is, I mean, that isn't the case at all. And I really want to reassure people that that is not the case. What we'll be doing is um, for G9, which will be launching this year, that will be business as usual and still be, you know, completely a pioneer product. What we're talking about is G10 onwards, so next year, uh, 2009, 2010 products will be looking to outsource the panel part of the plasma. Now, without getting in too deep into all the technical details, which we don't necessarily know at this stage, um, what we have been told is a lot of the proprietary technology, so the electronics, the guts that, that make this product different, will still be Pioneer. So this will very much be an engineered by Pioneer product. This isn't just taking somebody else's product and rebadging it Pioneer at all. Now, Fiona, we saw two extraordinary sets released at CES this year, the Contrast Concept and uh, the 9mm Concept screen. Um, so what's the likelihood now with this announcement that that technology is going to come to market? Right, I mean the situation on that hasn't changed at all. What we're saying is, and what we were saying at CES was, these are concept plasmas. So we've been looking at developing those technologies and then we need to look at whether these are commercially viable or not. So the decision on whether to progress with those or not progress with those hasn't been decided. That This announcement doesn't change that at all. So what you're saying to customers is that the Curo brand um, is going to remain and those high levels of, of great black, black levels, great contrast and so yeah. on, that's going to continue in the future. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Very much so, very much so. We want to get the message across that Kuro, you know, it is going to continue. You know, part of the part of the plasma is potentially going to be outsourced um, to a third party. But everything that, you know, the audiovisual side of the Pioneer that people have come to know, respect, and, you know, it's known for high quality, we are going to continue with that. So very much business as usual. Okay, well, um, thank you very much, Fiona, for taking the time to speak to us on the podcast, and um, all the best with uh, with your new strategy. Thank you very much. Cheers, Phil. So, Neil, that's the word from uh, Pioneer. Um, are you convinced? Mm, um, I don't think I'm 100% convinced yet. Uh, Pioneer have certainly put a positive spin on this, but there's no escaping the fact that they will no longer be making their panels um, and as good as the video processing has been from Pioneer, really it's the panels that they have set their major marketing um, to illustrate the, the, the real performance of those panels. Um, so it will be interesting to see uh, if Panasonic uh, can deliver the goods, uh, certainly in the plasma panels. Um, and it will be interesting to see if Sharp can deliver the goods. Perhaps even more interesting to see if Sharp can deliver the goods uh, by way of LCD panels. Now, obviously, Pioneer are saying that their engineers are going to be uh, working closely with the new panels and obviously putting their proprietary technology to them. I don't know how technically feasible that is. I'm not sure. I'm, I know you're from an engineering background, Neil, but I'm not sure how technically feasible that is to, to add on to panels that are already manufactured. Well, I think one of the things to remember is that we're not talking about... Um, this generation of panels that are coming up, we're talking about a whole new range of panels, um, which will certainly still be uh, on the drawing board or at the prototype stage uh, at Panasonic. Now, not to put too fine a point on it, um, all of the pioneer engineers, of course, will now be um, sadly looking for employment. Um, there really only is one place that they can go, and that's to Panasonic. Um, so whether Pioneer would like it or not, it was fairly clear um, that some of their uh, technical uh, real developments that they've made, in particular um, non-emissive uh, black in a, in a plasma panel would finally make its way over to Panasonic. Um, 
I, I think you may find that Pioneer gets some licensing money or something like that to make that happen sooner um, for Panasonic. But certainly something like that is a technology that if you have the expert, expertise of how to do it um, and the engineering um, prowess of how to do it, you probably find that probably not the first generation of Pioneer products with Panasonic panels, but the second generation um, from that relationship uh, will probably have a lot of these developments incorporated into them. And I guess the interesting thing here is um, the LCD side of things with Sharp, obviously having bought into Pioneer last year, um, we're going to see the first products coming to market from Pioneer, which are LCD-based. I guess this is another sensible move by the company because if they can get um, affordable, value-for-money products into the market with the Pioneer branding, I suppose that's going to give them the funds to, to allow future developments. Yeah, I mean, um, people look at a Pioneer display, I'm sure, in the shop and wonder why it's so expensive when a Panasonic uh, plasma display, which looks to be a fairly similar thing, is, what, half the price, even maybe a third of the price. Uh, But what people need to understand um, with the the, the plasma products and the LCD products, the cost of the actual unit is simply dictated by how many of the damn things you can make. It's all economies of scale that dictate the price of these products. Um, So if you actually look, uh, Panasonic are producing something like 10 times as many panels uh, as Pioneer were able to produce. So they have huge, huge benefits of economies of scale because of that. Um, They can afford to have much more efficient factories, higher yields, etc. And, you know, all of that stuff um, is also true for Sharp. Sharp are opening a huge new fabrication plant um, in Japan. Um, and I think that that, for Pioneer, will give them a stable footing. They will now be able to purchase products at a stable price, not have to worry um, about the manufacturing uh, fluctuations quite as much as they, they did when it was their own facilities. Um, and because of that, they will hopefully be able to, to get the price down a little bit. The, truth be told, I don't think you'll see a huge decrease in the price of Pioneer products, if any. Um, but what it means is that as a company, Pioneer will now be able to afford to continue with their uh, push into the luxury market um, that they established as a premium brand, etc. call it what you want. Um, they don't look to sell as many products as, say, uh, a Samsung or a Panasonic. Um, and, and having that stable backing now from, from these companies who can manufacture in much greater volumes I think is is very beneficial to them as they continue in that approach in the market. I guess uh, the one thing we should point out here is that um, there has been no official announcement um, regarding who they're going with panel-wise, but um, I have it on good authority, and I'm allowed to say this, that negotiations are ongoing with Panasonic at the moment, so it looks like that's the way that Pioneer are going in the future. Uh, but, Neil, I guess this whole story kind of highlights what we discussed um almost a year ago now on the podcast where we had a look at the flat panel market and we kind of said back then that things just weren't sustainable going into the future, didn't we? No, I mean, they're absolutely not sustainable. Um, I think there still is one um, potential company out there that that will have some problems for some time. Um, I, I don't think we've quite seen the end of the the consolidation, let's call it a consolidation uh, of companies who have manufacturing capability compared to those who are OEMing equipment from the other manufacturers. Uh, It's clear that Panasonic now have a hugely dominant position uh, in plasma. Um, Sharp seem to have a dominant position in LCD um, and there are only a couple of companies who can can compete with that. And if, if you control the manufacturing, uh, and you're selling product to other companies, it's simply clear that your products can afford to be cheaper to have the same thing. And, of course, the thing here is as well, um, it's not just the small companies like Pioneer who are having to outsource. Uh, there's plenty of manufacturers that already do that, um, some as big as Sony. Yes, absolutely. Um, Sony uh, have had a joint venture uh, with Samsung for uh, a number of years now. Perhaps some of our listeners don't realise that. Um, but now also Sony uh, have developed a relationship with Sharp. Um, this is not 
a new thing. Um, producing these panels is hugely expensive because of the scale that you need to produce them on. Um, I, I would really encourage people to have a quick look at the, the Sharp website or the Sony website and see some of the information uh, about these factories where they actually make these things. It's quite awe-inspiring, the scale that it needs to be done on. Now, Neil, the, the other thing um, which I think we need to mention here is just uh, the sheer price erosion um, which is happening on the high street. And um, I don't know how, how you feel about things, but, but from my perspective, it's getting worrying now that, that the prices are still dropping on flat panel products. And that can't be good. Uh, you know, They can't be making enough margin on these products to to look to the future. So so where do we go? Do we stay with the same technology um, or or does there need to be some kind of, of, of real shift in the marketplace to try and stop the prices falling even further? Well, what's been happening in the marketplace for a number of years now, really since flat panels started, is that it's been a race to establish positions in the market. Um, truthfully, it's been quite clear for a couple of years um, the companies that had the capacity to, to ride out the, the price erosion um, I mean, the, the, the margins are unbelievably small on these products um, for, for a manufacturer. Um, I mean, if people could imagine a plasma display that costs £800 uh, in a shop, you have to take a fifth off that before you do anything for the VAT. Then the shop needs to make its money. Um, all of the importation needs to be paid for. All the raw materials need to be paid for, the engineering, etc. So the actual money that you make off that is just, it's just nothing. Um, so obviously there is uh, a, a fear um, that some companies um, will not be able to develop for the future. And I think, truthfully, that's where Pioneer were headed if they had continued for, for a moment longer with their strategy of producing their own panels. They would simply have not been able to have financed that from other more successful areas of their business. Um, a company like Panasonic, which is so huge, um, had many, many other areas uh, that it could call on to support its business whilst it was building its capacity. Now, it has a huge capacity in a profitable um, flat panel division. Um, if you look at, at Sony, on the other hand, Sony had huge losses uh, in flat panel, despite having what a lot of people would consider to be uh, a premium price product. So um, there is certainly a worry uh, that, that, that we will miss out on some of the developments uh, and I think uh, probably the biggest example of that was the whole uh, SED um, panel debacle that, that Canon found themselves embroiled in. Um, SED was going to be the whole new thing that was going to take over the market. But they just simply couldn't produce it cheap enough. Um, and it wasn't a case they couldn't produce it. They couldn't produce it cheap enough that it would entice people away from buying uh, an LCD or a plasma display. There are other enthusiasts out there who will be listening to this, and um, I, do, I don't doubt for one minute that, that they realise the whole concept about paying for quality. You, you know, if you're paying for a quality product, um, then there is a premium price attached to that, no matter what technology uh, you're getting into. If it's good technology, it costs money. But the the whole market out there is, is not enthusiasts, it's the general public. And how do you convince the general public that the... Three thousand pound plasma is better than the thirteen hundred pound plasma. I mean, is this one of the stumbling blocks that Pioneer are going to come up against again? I think that Pioneer will certainly come up against this again. Um, I thought that they might be able to ride it out, but um, what's just happened is our friends at LG Display have actually just released a new panel um, in America. That panel is THX certified. It's ISF certified. Um, it has extremely accurate colour reproduction. Black levels, whilst not uh, leading, are extremely good. Um, really a very surprising product. I haven't seen the video processing to really test it, um, but by all accounts it's supposed to be quite acceptable. That panel is retailing for £1,000. So it becomes again very, very difficult for the average consumer to justify spending almost three times as much for, well, let's face it, a, a few percent, 20 percent, 30 percent, if we really, really, really push it, increase in performance. Um, so I, I think it's really a problem that Pioneer are still going to have um, if they continue to try and have 
uh, a model where they try and compete. Um, they, they really try and compete in the consumer space rather than the installer market. Uh, people may be surprised to find that in the install market, uh, there are still uh, LCD and plasma panels where you can pay over £4,000, um, over £5,000 even for a 50-inch model. Um, there's one company in particular that will charge uh, £14,000 <laughs> uh, for a 50-inch model of plasma TV. Um, and these companies, of course, do make quite good profits. Um, but but that should give people some idea of how little money um, these companies make from producing a flat panel at a thousand pounds. And Pioneer just simply will never have the capacity to compete with an LG, a Samsung, uh, a Panasonic. Have we seen the end of the premium bands in the UK when it comes to plasma? I mean, sadly, Fujitsu have now gone, and um, that was a shock when it came around. So this announcement from Pioneer. Um, yes, it's good news as in they're going to try and sort the finances out for the future, but have we really seen the end of the premium brands? Well, I think this is a question that ties in quite neatly to a question that we asked earlier on about Denon and Pioneer's uh, high-end um, AV products. Um, there is really still a, a good and buoyant market and a growing market for premium brands in the installer space. Um, but products targeted uh, installers are quite different uh, in their pricing structure and also their target sales volumes to products which are targeted um, at the average consumer, so um, a guy who goes and buys his TV online. And I think the idea of a premium brand like Pioneer existing solely in the consumer space, which is where Pioneer uh, have always uh, placed themselves. Uh, I think those days are almost gone in flat panels in particular, simply because there is not enough money. Um, there's not enough difference between uh, the, the premium panels and the, the extremely good panels from the consumer brands to justify it in the consumer marketplace spending three times as much. Um, so I think that what you find is that a premium company will become a, a company that survives on lower volumes with higher margins um, and looks to find its niche uh, in the custom install market. Um, and they will offer different things um, which custom installers look for uh, from what your average consumer looks for. So Neil, to, to wrap things up, um, obviously there is a possibility that we may even be heading into a recession this year. Um, so. Is it really looking as bleak as we think it's going to be in the in the flat panel market? Are we likely to see the other manufacturers falling foul of um, just just the sheer volume and and sheer size of scale and and so on against a, an economic background which at this moment in time is looking quite unstable. Um, in the short term, I think that uh, they will survive probably for another twelve months. In 12 months, if the if the downturn globally remains the same, I think there could be one more brand um, that we have to say goodbye to. Um, I think also what we have to uh, respect is that for many people, uh, a new television, especially a large flat screen television, um, is something of a luxury purchase. Uh, and in, in the sort of market conditions that we have at this minute in time, um, the luxury purchases uh, of of everyday people uh, are what suffer. Um, unfortunately, for for most of us, people who have money um, don't really get affected by the global downturn, and so real high end products are not particularly affected um, by a recession in the same way as uh, the the mass market brands are. And I, I think that this will have. Uh, quite an effect um, on the sort of pricing, um, the products, perhaps the innovation, as companies try to get a little bit more from their engineering development. Uh, but I think ultimately we will see one more brand disappear in the next 12 to 24 months. Is it a case of uh, the market's just going to turn to cheap crap in the future? Is is that something which there's a risk of? Do you see it happening? Well, I don't think that it will turn to cheap crap. That's something that that people are certainly worried about. Um, certainly it will turn to low cost, but 
as I just gave of the example of LG, um, the new LG product, under no circumstances could it be called crap. Um, certainly, we may have we may have laughed at previous LG products for sure, um, but they seem to have listened and they seem to have developed uh, a product that that in uh, a year or two ago would certainly have been classed as a very high end premium product for the sort of features it offers and so on. Um, and I think this is something that you'll see continuing in the market. The companies understand that they need to offer more features that were not necessarily seen as essential. Um, in particular, one of the things that I know is extremely interesting to both of us is calibration features. Um, almost all of these new flat panels have user-accessible uh, detailed calibration controls in them, um, whereas even one year ago that would have been the preserve of a very high-end model. Um, and I think that that goes to show that, that companies are not necessarily looking to pile out cheap crap uh, left, right and centre. Where you do see corners cut is in the video processing, let's face it. Um, if they buy off-the-shelf video processing, typically that is fairly disappointing. But even then, um, a company like Toshiba uh, is heralding its new video processing developments with the cell processor. So who knows, there could be even more developments there that we're not aware of just yet. Neil, it's, uh, it's always fascinating to have these chats and uh, it's been far too long getting back to the podcast, but we're back again. And uh, thank you very much um, for this month's home cinema chat. No problem, Phil. Let's hope everyone enjoys it. Okay, well, uh, that wraps up our podcast for this month. If you have any questions, queries or comments, you can email us at podcast at avforums.com. And if you have any opinions on the state of the flat panel market, Pioneer's decision to outsource its panels, or anything else that we've discussed this month, then please reply to the thread in the podcast forum. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next month. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.